This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all, y'all. Uh, if you would, would you turn uh, turn with me to uh, Matthew 10, uh, 10th chapter of Matthew. Uh, we'll read from there this morning. We'll start in verse uh, 26, Matthew 10, verse 26, and we'll read down to 39. Matthew 10, 26-39. Whenever you find it, would you stand? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are, you are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, do come this morning again in the name of Jesus. Lord, um, looking to you, asking, Lord, that you enable us this morning to hear from you. Uh, to hear Your Word, not only uh, with our physical ears, but, uh, Lord, may, may Your truth sink deep. May it affect us, change us. Lord, may You use it uh, to sanctify us as You conform us to Christ's image. I ask that you enable me to speak the message you would have delivered. And again, enable us all to hear. Lord, may it be for your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We sang earlier, um, 
from page 15 in the hymnal, we have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land, climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward, tis our Lord's command, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. You may remember that's basically what we talked about Wednesday night. Our message for the world, Jesus rules and Jesus saves. Jesus reigns. Or as Isaiah says, our God reigns. New Testament, Jesus is Lord. Simply, Jesus rules. Not in a, a, uh, a flippant manner. I mean, we don't say that in a flippant manner. It's not just a cliche. He rules. He reigns. He saves. Scripture tells us that God, before the foundation of the world, determined to save a people to Himself. He created man in His own image. Adam and Eve, and He placed them in the garden, set them in a sinless environment. And they disobeyed God's Word. They failed. They sinned. And we know by the testimony of the Scripture that from that point on, every, every human being that's born into this world is born into a state of sin. Or to say the same thing another way, we're born in a state of rebellion against our Creator. That's the essence of sin. And every human being throughout history, with the exception of one, Jesus Christ, every human being throughout human history suffers from that malady. Sin, which again, in essence, is rebellion against our Creator. So, as the result of sin of Adam and Eve, and as a result of our own sin, we're separated from our Creator. And as a result of being separated from our Creator, the condemnation, the, the, the wages, as Paul says in Romans, is death. Death. The wages of sin is death. Everybody's guilty of sin, and therefore, if we're, if we're left in that state, we're all condemned to eternal destruction, eternal hell. That's, that's the plight of every human being ever entered into this world, apart from God's grace. If God, if God didn't intervene, if He just left us there, the end result would be damnation for every single human being. I'm emphasizing that just because I want us to understand that's, that's the condition we're either all in, you know, we, we are, uh, all of us either in that condition now or at least once were. There's never been a human being uh, without sin except for Jesus. So what's the good news that the writer of the hymn we were singing earlier is, is talking about spreading? He says, onward, 
onward. Tis our Lord's command. What is the Lord's command? What is the news that the Lord has commanded us to spread, to take into the world? It's the news of redemption, reconciliation. Or we can kind of put it in the terms of, of Matthew, what we've been seeing uh, as we've been moving through this book. It's, it's the news of the coming of the kingdom. The king has come announcing the coming of the kingdom. Again, uh, what, what is the kingdom? It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a sphere of rule, right? Dominion. So, Jesus came announcing the, the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. John the Baptist was preaching the kingdom is at hand. Now, Jesus in Matthew 10 sends His disciples out with this word. The kingdom is at hand. And in the kingdom, those, those who enter in the kingdom will know the restoration, the reconciliation that only comes through saving knowledge of Jesus Christ based on what He has done in our behalf. He suffered, we sang in the old rugged cross. He suffered for us, right? On, on the cross. He suffered there and died. Before the foundation of the world, God decreed to save a people to Himself. He decided, He decreed to send His Son into the world to save. We're, we're all in that predicament in and of ourselves, separated from God, alienated from God. And God decreed to send His Son into the world to rescue, to save, to save a people to Himself. Matthew starts his Gospel that way. You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sin. So Jesus comes into the world and pulls a people out of rebellion. Rescue. Brings them into His kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then, as we see in our passage today, He sends them out into the world with this same declaration. To spread the news. That the kingdom is at hand. Matter of fact, if you'll look back for just a moment, to the first part of this chapter, verse 1, when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power, authority, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness, all kinds of disease. And then here Matthew lists the twelve. Then He records Jesus' instruction to them. Verse 5, Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach or proclaim or herald what the word means there. Herald saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So he sends them out with the same message. The same message that 
God gave to Eve following the fall when He told her uh, that her seed would crush the head of the serpent. The same message that God gave to Abraham when He promised Abraham descendants and said, In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The same, the same message that He gave to David when He promised David to build, to build him a house. David wanted to build a house, of the Lord, house for the Lord. And the Lord said, You want to build me a house? I'm going to build you a house. And your seed is going to inherit your throne and reign forever. Reign over all the nations. The same word that the psalmist proclaimed in Psalm 67 that we read earlier. God, be merciful to us and bless us. Cause His face to shine upon us, that Your way may be known on earth, Your salvation among all nations. Let the people praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. He's he's praying, the psalmist there is praying for all the nations to experience the joy, the gladness that only comes through reconciliation, restoration with God through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is, through entrance into the kingdom of God. And Jesus sends the twelve out and He gives them this authority to to preach this message and to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. That is, not only to preach the kingdom, but to demonstrate it. That is, to to give a foretaste. What's, What's the restoration like, ultimately? No more sickness. No more demonic influence. No more sin. So Jesus sends them out to do what He is doing. Preaching forgiveness of sins, restoration with God through entrance into the kingdom based on what He has done in His life and in His death. And He gives them authority for miraculous healings and deliverances confirm the word that they are preaching. And then oddly enough, he begins to explain to them, uh, uh, I say oddly because you would think, carrying that message into the world, the message of rescue, the message of salvation, that it would be, um, that the response everywhere would be like, what the psalmist describes in 67, that in Psalm 67, that the nations would be glad. <laughs> but not, not so in every case. And Jesus knows they're going to meet opposition. And He prepares them for that. Verse 16, 
Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So, so we're, we're called to take that same message into the world. The, the same message that is the, uh, the message of this book, the meta-narrative of this book. Same message that Jesus commends to His disciples here. The message of the coming of the kingdom. The message of reconciliation with our Creator. The message of forgiveness of sins. The message of rescue from sin and death. In short, we're, we're called to confront the world with the good news of the gospel. Now again, that may sound a little odd because you uh, even to use the word confront sounds a bit uh, well confrontational, doesn't it? <laughs> confront the world with good news shouldn't even be the thought of of, of any any uh, negativism there. You're, you're you're giving good news. Why wouldn't they? Receive it. Well, because, as we've already stated, we're all sinners. We're in rebellion against God. So, Jesus has explained to His disciples, you're going to meet opposition. In fact, um, you're, you're being called to confront the world. And, and as I pointed out earlier, and I just kind of skipped over this just now, but as I pointed out earlier, He does at first send them out to the lost sheep of Israel only, but then as you go on down through the verses, you see that uh, He begins to talk about the future when that will expand. And He says to them that you'll be, you'll be delivered uh, up to kings uh, for My sake. Verse 18, you'll be brought before governors and kings for My sake as a testimony to them and to the nations, to the Gentiles. So He, he starts out telling His disciples for that particular mission, you go to the nation of Israel only, but then He begins to talk about uh, what they will experience later as they carry the gospel to the nations. And he's warning them with this analogy. I'm, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. There's, there's not going to be a joyful response in every case. There's going to be opposition. So I want to start there. Jesus has called us to confront, confront the world with the gospel, and it's dangerous. There's going to be danger. And he's telling us up front that that's going to be the case. So let me just pose a question here. Should we be, based on what Jesus says, should we be more surprised when we do suffer persecution or when we do not? And I raise that question because, as you know from experience, in our culture, we typically do not suffer persecution. I mean, it's true, we may get made fun of and things like that. People think we're crazy or that we're just weak-minded. But for the most part, there's no physical persecution. Should we think that strange or, or should we think the persecution strange? Let's, let's just kind of generalize it a little bit more. Should we think of suffering in this life as strange 
Or should we think it more strange when we do not suffer? Well, we, we live in a, in a, a Genesis 3 world, a post-fall world. So things are broken. So we should think it more strange when we have the least amount of suffering or opposition, persecution. In fact, that's so much the case. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. He's saying uh, that's the very thing you should expect in this world. There's danger as long as you're about the Lord's business in this world. There's danger. And Jesus is letting us know that and letting us know that for a reason. Again, verse 16, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And then he goes on to explain some of the things that they're going to experience as they carry the gospel message into the world. And then we come to where Zach started reading this morning. Verses 26 through 39, and we won't cover all that this morning. We'll come back uh, and finish tonight, Lord willing. Um, But verse 26, Therefore, now keep in mind everything we just said, sending you out with the message, the kingdom of God is near, it's at hand. Forgiveness of sin, restoration, reconciliation to God. You're taking this message to the world. Many of them are not going to like it. They're going to deliver you up to councils and and scourge you in synagogues and take you before kings and governors. You're going to be persecuted. Therefore, verse 26, do not fear them. Therefore, do not fear them. Now, we've all heard the, the old um, saying, when, when you see the word therefore, what do you do? You look to see... What the therefore is there for. And sometimes you do that and it makes perfect sense. You go, oh, okay. You know, I look back at the last few verses and therefore, oh, okay, I see that explains it. And sometimes you do that and it doesn't immediately make sense. And I thought about this, you know, I looked at this and I looked at this. Jesus basically says, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. Therefore, do not fear. And my initial response is, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> if, if I'm, if I'm going to suffer, if I'm going to be persecuted, it seems like I've got every reason to fear and to worry. I mean, if you told me today, <clears throat> when you leave here this afternoon, you're going to have a wreck, don't fear. I'd, I'd probably be driving like this, you know, looking everywhere, stricken with fear. But that's essentially what we've got here. You, you're going to take good news to the world. They're going to hate you for it, Jesus said, because they hated me. You take God's message to the world, and they're going to say, you're of the devil. That's verse 25. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of the household? Jesus said, they accuse me. 
of being of the devil, they'll do the same to you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. Therefore, don't fear. Don't fear. Why does he say don't fear? If we're going to face trouble, if we're going to face persecution, if we're going to be hated, if we're going to be falsely accused, why does he say don't fear? Let me give you a few reasons here as I was contemplating this. Um, first of all, uh, this may sound like not may not sound like a, a totally good explanation, but I think it is when you when you when you get further into it. First of all, we should not fear because Jesus told us what to expect. It, it, it's the idea is this. Um, if we expect, if we go into the world expecting these things, we, we won't be caught off guard. We shouldn't think, for example, because what, what we do uh, when we face opposition is immediately think things like, where am I going wrong? Is God against me? I'm, I'm trying to do God's will. Where am I going wrong? That's, that's typically our response. And so Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't fear the things that are going to happen. Expect them. This is, this is part of God's plan. So we shouldn't fear because Jesus has told us what to Expect. Let me, let me give you another uh, passage that I think helps in this regard. John 16, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> John 16, verses 1 through 4. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogue. So he's describing the same kind of scenario here. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. So he says essentially the same thing. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put out of the synagogues. Um, people are going to even go so far as to kill you thinking they're doing God's service. Now, he says, I've spoken these things to you so that you should not be made to stumble, so that you won't be scandalized when it happens, so that you won't think when it, when it happens, oh my gosh, what is going wrong? No, Jesus said, I'm letting you know now so that you won't stumble then. So when the time comes, remember, he says, that I've told you these things. Secondly, we should not fear because the power of the enemy is limited. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a, that's a, a, 
That's a potent verse. I mean, that's that's a powerful verse. It's kind of it's one of those that kind of has a uh, j- just a uh, uh, an, an an awesome, you know, positive, <laughs> and then and then on the other side, you know, a, a negative that uh, that just almost makes you tremble, right? Unless for a moment, and for our purposes here this morning, consider the positive side. The first part: Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Now. And then he goes on to say, you know, fear him who has power to cast soul and body into hell. So he's saying comparatively, there's no comparison. <laughs> In other words, God's power is infinite. And when you get down to it, his, his, his sphere of rule is unlimited. He has power over body and soul so that he can kill the body. And damn the soul forever. And Jesus is saying, the power of man is nothing like that. It's, it's limited. He may kill the body, but he cannot damn your soul. So he's saying, don't, don't fear. You do God's will. You will have trouble in this world. But eventually you will leave this world. And your troubles are over. They may take your life. They cannot take your salvation. So we should not fear, Jesus is saying, because the power of the enemy is limited. Now, I understand. Believe me, I understand. (laughs) Especially the flesh. I mean, we look at that and we say, "Um, I'd like a little more. I want to know that I'm protected from harm while I'm here. And He doesn't promise that. But again, that's one reason He's telling us these things. In other words, as we're going to see, it's all incorporated in God's will, so don't fear. Don't fear because Jesus is telling us what to expect, and don't fear because the power of the enemy is limited. Let me give you a quote here from Charles Spurgeon. I thought it was pretty good. I sent Charles Spurgeon a friend request on Facebook, and, uh, and he accepted. And, you know, I mean, he's been dead over a hundred years, so I thought that was pretty neat. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Charles Spurgeon says, quote, A mighty argument against fear is the comparative weakness of the enemy. Men can only wound our inferior part, the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But if we disobey God, the supreme Lord of life and death has power even to destroy both parts of our being by casting them into the death and darkness of Gehenna, or hell. Let us fear the greater, and we shall not fear the less. Now, if you didn't hear any of the rest of that quote, hear that. Spurgeon says, Let us fear the greater, and we shall not fear the less. There is no cure for the fear of man like the fear of God. Thirdly, we should not fear because God values us. Verse 29. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, and there's that word therefore again, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Now, <clears throat> let's, let's think just a moment about that. Because again, on the surface, you might not be, okay, I'm, I'm more valuable than many sparrows. You might be thinking, I'm not real impressed with that. <laughs> many sparrows. I mean, what if you had many sparrows? What if you had a hundred sparrows? How much is that worth? You know, I'm, I'm, I want to be, I want a greater value than that. Well, but let's, hold up. Let's think about that for just a minute. Who sinned and brought trouble into this world? Who sinned and plunged the world into the condition that it's now in? The sparrows do that? What I'm saying is, who rebelled against God? Did the sparrows do that? They didn't do that. So, let's kind of put this in perspective. Man is created in the image of God. We bear the image and the glory of God. That is unique to human beings. No, no other part of creation has that. And we're the ones who rebel. Now, the point I'm making is simply this. If anybody deserves to be devalued by God, it's not the sparrows, it's us. And so really, it, it ought to... It ought to be a, a kind of shocking to us. We're, we're valued more than a creature that does the will of God. Jesus says, you're of more value than many sparrows. God values His people. God values all of His creation and again, uniquely, or in a unique sense, human beings, because we bear His image and glory. It's not a capital offense to kill a sparrow. It is a capital offense, at least according to the Bible, it is a capital offense to kill a man or a woman. Because human beings bear the image of God. But we're the ones who rebelled. So we ought to be shocked that Jesus says, you have value. You have value in the eyes of God. Don't fear, because God values you. Now, you can take that, uh, and we do, take that to two extremes. Uh, some, some people way overemphasize that and we, we begin to think that we have some inherent value built into ourselves and think of ourselves as equal to God or as God or maybe, maybe, maybe not so much equal to God, but God at least owes us because we're so valuable. 
And that's not at all what I'm saying. Not at all. And the other extreme would be um, to say, well, you know what, we, because we're all sinners, we have no value in the eyes of God. Both of those views are wrong. And it's clear here. Jesus says God values you. Why? Well, I think, it's, again, it's because we bear His image. It's not because of something uh, inherent to our own personhood. Not because I'm good. It's because I'm created in His image. It's because, we can look at it this way, it's because He's placed value on us. There's a difference between inherent value and Proceed value or uh, just just value being placed on. Why? Why? You ever wondered why something like a diamond is so valuable in the world? What's the difference in a diamond and a you know a rock, a piece of graphite, or something? I would say essentially there's no difference. It's just that people have placed value. People, in other words, there's a demand for the diamonds. They want them. That's kind of the way with us. God places value on His people. But with Him, there is inherent value. There's inherent value in Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, that being said, Jesus says, Do not fear, because you are more value than many sparrows. Every hair, verse 30, the very hairs of your head are numbered. What's He saying? What's the point He's making there? Why is it significant that, that the very hairs of my head are numbered? Why is it significant that God values me more than the sparrow? Because you're going to face trouble in this world. And Jesus wants you to know, as a, as a Christ follower, as a believer, that God values you so much that He's in control of everything that goes on in your life. So, he can say, similarly to the sparrow, Jesus says in in verse 29, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. Now, uh, me and uh, one of my cousins were on an island in Virginia one time, and we're walking along, and... And uh, he picks up a rock, and, and there were some power lines that were really high, and we were pretty young too. And there's a, I don't know if it was a sparrow or not, it looked like a sparrow, something like that, sitting up on that line. And he picks up a rock, and it was a long way, and, and he throws it, and I'm sure <coughs> he didn't have any idea that he was going to hit that bird. I mean, he's trying to, but I'm, it, it was a long shot. And I mean, he nailed it. He nailed it, and, and, and the bird was dead. The bird fell, hit the ground. I've thought about that many times. Jesus says, not, not even one falls to the ground apart from God's will. That, that one bird could not die unless it was God's will that it died. 
And then he goes on to say, Therefore, don't fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, he's not saying, again, that you won't die. He's not saying you won't face trouble. He's not saying you will not face persecution. In fact, he's just said just the opposite. You will. So he's not saying you will not face persecution because you're so valued of God. Any more than he's saying the sparrow won't die. No, he's saying sparrow will, but it'll be in God's timing and according to God's will. And that's what he's wanting us to know here. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to, you're going to have trouble in this life. You're going to have suffering in this life. You're going to be persecuted for taking the good news to the world, but know that God is in control of every bit of it. And He values you so much as one of His children that He's going to control every detail of even the persecution that you experience. So therefore, don't fear. Because though things may seem like they're out of control, they're never truly out of control. So don't fear. Don't fear. These things are coming. They are going to happen. If you take the good news of the Gospel to the world... Um, you're, you're going to face opposition. It was true for the disciples. It's just as true for us today. You're going to be opposed, but don't fear. Jesus has told us what to expect. The power of the enemy is limited. And God values us. So, he says, and I'll have to take this up tonight. I'm just going to mention it here. A couple of things. So, he says in verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. What's he saying? So, you're going to suffer. You're going to be persecuted. So, go preach. Go proclaim. You're going to take the message of the kingdom to the world, and they're going to hate you for it, and they're going to say you're of the devil. They'll even go so far as to kill some of you thinking that they're doing God's service. So, take the message to the world. Therefore, do it, he says. Just, just don't, don't fear. I'm telling you, I'm telling you ahead of time what's going to happen. Their power is limited. God values you. This is all. Even a sparrow can't fall apart from God's will. Nothing's going to happen to you apart from God's will. This is all God's plan. Know that when you go through it. Take comfort in it. Trust God and continue to preach the kingdom.
One last thing here, and, and then we're going to pick up these last two again, as I said tonight. Let's proclaim with boldness. And then lastly, promise of reward. Verse 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So, he says, you're going to suffer persecution, but don't fear. Don't fear. God's in control. And God loves you. He values you. You will suffer persecution. John 16.33, In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus said, for I have overcome the world. In the world you have tribulation, but God's in control of it. And He values you. And nothing's going to happen to you apart from His will. So take comfort in that. And don't, don't fear what men can do because their power, their control is limited and God's is, God is unlimited. Ultimately, in other words, it's all going to come out according to His plan for His glory. So, so go. So go and take the Gospel to the world. Face the opposition. Confront the world. Not in a confrontational manner. You don't have to go out and start arguments. But go out and spread the good news. Tell the world that Jesus rules and Jesus saves. Do it with boldness because He cares for you. He will keep you. And because He will save more people. You do His work, success is assured. Go preach the gospel of the kingdom. And do it because there's a reward for you. You may be persecuted, and you will, according to the Scripture. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul says, will suffer persecution. You'll be persecuted in this world, but in the world to come, Jesus says, I'll confess you before my Father. You confess me before man, I'll confess you before the Father. Persecution now, total restoration then. Trouble now, joy, fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord then. So confront the world with the gospel. As we saw in Sunday school this morning, we're, we're commanded to do it. And we owe it. We owe it to the world to take the gospel to them. Freely you have received, Jesus said. Now, freely give. couple of things I want to leave us with this morning, and, then, and this is also for tonight. In other words, be, be thinking about this. And I'm going to give you a second or two here as well, right, right now. <clears throat> Think about all we just read about, Jesus promising persecution, trouble in this world, if we do what He said do. Is it worth it? 
Is getting the gospel out to the world worth the trouble? Is it worth the discomfort and the persecution that Jesus says we're going to be faced with? Are the people worth it? Jesus is telling us to take the gospel message to people who are perishing. Are, are they worth it? We, we've talked about how God values us. Are, are we more valuable than they? To say it another way, should we put value on lost souls? Is Jesus worth it? He's the one commanding us to go. It's His message. It's a message about Him. The King has come. The King has come. The kingdom is, is nigh at hand. It's His kingdom. It's His rule. His message. His gospel. Is He worth it? We have such a tendency, don't we, to make salvation about us. It's, it's all about us. Jesus came. To save sinners. Well, that's true. And then that seems to be the end of it for us. Well, good. Good, I'm saved. I don't have to go to hell. That's what it's all about. It's all about me missing hell. But that's not the scriptural version of the Gospel. And Jesus is saying, go for His sake, for His glory. Is, is He worth it? And lastly, should we put that much value... On the glory of God. In other words, this, this is the way God has chosen to be glorified. Through uh, building a church, through multiplication. You see a foreshadowing of that in, in Genesis when He creates man and woman and says, Now go, fill the earth and subdue it. Fill the earth. You, you bear, you Adam and Eve, you bear the image of God now. Now multiply, fill the earth with little images of God. That'll grow into, at least physically, bigger images of God, okay? Fill the earth with people who bear God's image. And that's what the church is all about, too. Christ came to save sinners, and then He commands us, now you go and you take the message, multiply. So that God's not just glorified in you knowing Him and you taking pleasure in Him, but so that He's glorified in the nations coming to know Him. That's, that's what we saw in Psalm 67. God be merciful to us and bless us. Cause His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on earth. Your salvation among all nations. And so the psalmist says, let the peoples praise you. Oh God, not, not just me, 
not just my neighborhood or my church or my state, but let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4, Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. That's how God chose to be glorified. That we would come to know Him and love Him and worship Him and take joy in Him and that we would get the message out to other people so that they could do the same. So I ask the question again, should we put that much value on the glory of God? Paul says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Every human being is a sinner. All have sinned, Paul says in Romans. There's not one who does good. No, not one. Not one who seeks God. Every human being is a sinner. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to rescue sinners. And He's called us to confront the world with that message. Would you stand, please? We're just going to close with a word of prayer. And uh, Lord willing, see you all tonight, 6 p.m. tonight. Joshua, would you pray, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.